Amen. Well, good morning again, everybody. So glad to have you with us uh, here at Shine. Um, I don't know if you are on Facebook or social media or not. I happen to be. And uh, in the last couple of days, one of those memories pulled up on my on my feed, and it was from nine years ago this weekend, and um, <clears throat> it was a year, it was 2014, and uh, what it ended up being was uh, a year that I went from couch potato to running a half marathon in like six months, and so it was a very fun year. I kind of didn't appreciate it because I looked very different, very fit, very in shape back then. But it did remind me of the half marathon, the one and only half marathon I've ever run. And uh, it was the Highlands Ranch half. And when we got there that morning, we took a bus up to Daniels Park and everybody was out there stretching out, you know, doing our things and all of that. And shortly before the race started, um, they gave like the warning, like, hey, you know, seven minutes or five minutes or whatever it was. I was like, okay. And then I was like, hmm. It's going to be a long race. I should probably use the bathroom, right? Smart decision. Yeah, would you, you with me? Okay, so um, there was one bathroom, not multiple stalls. It was just kind of one bathroom there. And so there was a few people waiting in line. And I was like, well, this seems important, so I'm just going to, you know, wait it out. So finally I got my turn, uh, used the bathroom, you know, psyched myself up. It was just this peaceful, you know, you know something, flute playing in the background. Anyway, it was perfect. I'm like, I'm totally in the zone, I'm ready. I came out of the bathroom, and I'm like, where's everybody? Everybody's gone. And they're like these two guys starting to take up the magnetic strip that like activates your time chip that's like on your shoelace kind of a thing. And I'm like, wait, no. And they're like, who are you? I'm like, I'm a runner. They're like, well, you better run over this thing right now. Everybody had started the race without me. And so I was like a quarter mile behind everybody. I'm like, no. So I just started. So I put in Hezekiah Walker. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Come on, come on, everybody. And I was like, and I started, I was like a locomotive. And I literally passed, I, I caught up. To the, to the little pack, and I started passing people, passing people, passing people, passing people, and I'm just telling you, because obviously you can tell, this is not, I'm not speaking of modern day. This is me boasting about, you know, who I used to be. I literally, nobody passed me that entire race. It was an hour and 42 minutes. I passed everybody but 43 runners, so I ended up 44th overall with a pace of seven minutes, 46 seconds per mile. Now, I can't, like, that's a Boston Marathon qualifying time. I can't even run one mile today <laughs> in seven minutes, 40, seven minutes, 46 seconds. But um, it was an incredible year. It was amazing. One of the things I learned as I was training for that race was the power, not just of practice. There was a lot of practice that went into it. But there was also the power of nutrition, of what I'm feeding myself. And I discovered the secret of, are you ready for it? You may want to write this down. Sliced pineapple. It's not only good on bonsai burgers at Red Robin, it's good to actually give your body quick sugar release fuel. Um, and so that was one of the things that I learned during that season of training that actually allowed me not just to finish, but actually to do a lot better than I ever thought I would in that race. We're here talking this year about Come With Me. We're in a series or in a yearly theme where we believe that Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to come with me. I want you to kind of uproot 
the things that are stagnant and, and come to new places with me. And, and even currently, we're in a focus uh, that we're calling transformed and looking at the ways in which God is renewing our mind, changing us from the inside out. And I believe that one of the big things that God wants to change in us is the fuel for living a transformed life. And I think a big part of that fuel is joy. And so that's what we're gonna be talking about this morning is the power of joy, living joyfully. How do we do that? I believe that if we want to follow Jesus, if we want to go with him, if we want to truly live from a place of renewal, we're gonna need joy. We're gonna need this. We can't do it without it. Here's how I know it. Um, Nehemiah 8, verse 10, you probably all know the scripture, very familiar. What does it say? The joy of the Lord is? My strength. The people had just gotten done facing all kinds of opposition. They were maligning them. They were slandering them. They were threatening them. All these enemies that didn't want the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt by Nehemiah and all of the Jews who had returned after the exile. But they came to know during that time, the Lord spoke to them very clearly, hey, don't mourn, don't weep, not even when you're hearing my word and you're going, oh no, we're falling short. Oh no, we're not living up to what God wants. They were tempted to, to mourn, to grieve, and the word of the Lord was no. Don't mourn, don't weep, because my joy is your strength. I believe no different, it's no different for you and for me. The joy of the Lord is actually meant to be a fuel that empowers us to live with him and for him. What about this? Even Jesus was fueled by joy. Hebrews 12, verse 2, in the NIV it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The message translation says this, keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. And this is how it translates joy, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Maybe you're here today and you're like, wow, I could use a little bit of joy in my life. I could use a little bit of adrenaline in my walk with the Lord. Here's the good news. God isn't looking at you and beating you over the head saying, how come you're not more joyful? Get your act together. Pull it together. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just fake it till you make it. I believe that God has good news for us today, that he has a plan and a purpose to, to, to bring joy into our lives and even to empower us to live from a place of joy. How do I know that? Well, a couple of scriptures real quick. Uh, John 15, verse 11, Jesus is speaking with his disciples right before going into Gethsemane and Calvary in those key chapters after he had washed their feet and so forth. And he says this, I have told you these things, forgive me, he had just gotten done telling them, hey, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Remain, in, love one another and you will remain in my love. And then he says this, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Would you guys agree the joy that Jesus walked in is high quality joy? It's not a knockoff, it's not a, a bottom shelf, it's a top shelf joy. It's something valuable, it's something that, that can stand adversity 
no matter what life throws at us. I love that Jesus wants his joy to be in you. Think about that. Jesus is a fairly powerful character in the universe, you know? If he says, I want my joy to be in you, that's good. That's a good. We're sitting pretty. We're sitting in a good place. What about this? In Galatians 5.22, he's listing the things that happen as the Holy Spirit comes in us, and it says this, but the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions, joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. I believe God is saying, man, I've got a plan. Don't worry. I know this can seem impossible. It can seem very hard, but I've got a plan to bring my joy into you and to allow you to actually genuinely, without playing games, pretending, denying pain, to truly live in a place of my joy and from my joy. Is that good news? Okay, so if God has promised all that, if he, oh, then he commands us to, he goes on and actually commands us to live from it. Here's the uh, other two-word verse in the Bible. If I asked you, what is the shortest verse in the Bible, what would you say? Jesus wept, right? Wow, powerful truth that he's with us in our sorrow, in our weakness. But the other short verse in the Bible, I just discovered as I study for this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Pull it up. Two words. What are they? Wow, so you've got Jesus wept in the lows of life, but then we're commanded to say rejoice always. What about this in Philippians 4, verse 4? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice so, hey, God must have confidence he's able to bring this about and make this a reality if he's actually commanding us to walk from his place. So, if it's been promised to us, if Jesus wants it for us, if the power of the Holy Spirit is able to bring it about in our lives as a fruit, I want to ask you guys, we're going to head into a little bit of an interactive time. If you're new to Shine, we love to uh, give all of us as family an opportunity to share. So it's not just me up here uh, talking we believe that God can speak to you and through you that we can learn from each other that something very powerful happens as we interact. So I'm going to ask the mic uh, runners to, uh, to get ready. Uh, and I wanted to ask you guys, given all these things that are for us to walk in joy, why is it so hard to truly consistently experience joy, to truly consistently live from joy in our day-to-day lives? Just raise your hand. A mic runner will come to you. Why is it so difficult? <clears throat> and state your name if you would, please. Hi, I'm John. Um, Hi, John. I, I think when we get our eyes off of God, our world gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and our perspective gets really small. And I think that's maybe the biggest reason, right? When we're not, we're not seeing things the way God sees them. And in our small perspective, I think we see things and how they affect us, and we just kind of get wrapped around the axle. Wow, that's good. That's good. How easily it is to just let our perspective be what I'm feeling, experiencing. Yeah, so good. I'm Maddie. Um, For those who fall into the very emotional side, like myself, I think emotions is a big thing. So when you're not feeling joy and you feel the weight of all the emotions of other things, it's hard to feel like, like, I'm mad right now, so why would I feel joy? Like, you lean into the emotion, and it sits so real and so heavy that it's, like, it makes it hard to 
experience joy even though you're told that. So it's good. True. Very true. It's good. I think one of it is culturally um, where everything seems to push everyone into isolation. And the fact that, I mean, the difference between the neighborhoods now and when I grew up as a kid are night and day. Uh, and um, we tend to get so isolated and thinking about not bothering someone and not there, you know, sharing with them that it makes it difficult then to keep that joy when it's just you and no one else that you're trying to make it through things. Wow, isolation, so powerful. And again, going through, oh, I believe Dory was next, if you don't mind, right here, um, Mia. Um, yeah. So even as, as isolated as our culture is and then even going through crises that pull us even farther apart. Powerful. Years ago, I went through cancer and when I was told I had it, uh, God said, I am going to do something great here. And I walked on water with joy during that whole time, even for three months after I finished my chemo. So I have experienced the kind of joy that has get you over the hump, mm -hmm. and it is very real. And I try to walk and enjoy it as a choice mm -hmm. every day. It is a choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so good. So good. Thank you for sharing that. It's powerful. Hi, I'm Jennifer. Um, I think that, um, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I, I often confuse happiness with joy. Mm. And... Um, feeling like if I'm happy, then I'm going to find joy. And what that really translates to, if I'm getting what I want and what I think I need, then, then I'm happy and I feel joy. Mm -hmm. And that's not always, you know, God's plan for me. And just learning how to find, figure out, you know, that you can have joy in any circumstance, in any situation. But that's, it's kind of easier said than done. So I feel like, you know, I, I just continue to seek out really you know, what is joy and what does that feel like? And it's not, it could be aligned with happiness, but it not always is. And so um, oh, that's just my thoughts on that. It's really profound. Thank you, Jennifer. We've got somebody over there, somebody over here. Oh, sorry. Um, hi, I'm Kim Zish. Um, you know, if you've had a troubled life, um, and I'm just speaking about my childhood and then my first marriage. When you've had a troubled life, like the last thing on earth that I want is for anything to steal my joy. And so, like, uh, it's really hard for me if anything happens to me it, that, that where my joy is stolen. And so what I've been finding uh, here lately that I've been doing is that I will pray in the Spirit and then say the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again just to rebuke that uh, ick that wants to, or, you know, well, Satan, basically, that wants to attack me, you know, because, um, and, and also one other thing to tag along with it, which you all can probably relate to, is I have to be very careful about how many YouTube video shorts I watch, especially when it comes <laughs> to politics, uh -huh. uh, because, yep. um, because that can kind of um, tick me off, and then uh, it takes me down a, a yeah. bad road. Yeah. I'm sure y'all can relate. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, it's that tree of knowledge of good and evil versus the tree of life. And we just yeah. have this little thing yeah. in us that says, I can handle any amount of data or negative information and it won't affect my spirit. And I don't know that that's necessarily true. God wants us to be aware of like, 
yes, it's good to know what's going on, but also how much capacity do I have to continue to walk in trusting the Lord and positive? Yeah, positive. Okay, we got somebody over here and then John. Yep. Hi, I'm Michaela. Um, I think, so even in the Bible it says, do not be conformed to the patterns of the world. And I think even that use of the word conformed, that's like the easiest path of least resistance for us. It's like kind of the standard. So I think it's so countercultural even within this world because it's the thing that we see, the thing that we're a part of, we have to be part of something that is more abstract, the spiritual world. So it's kind of standing in the middle of a current and instead of going around, going with the flow of it and getting captured in, you have to turn around and stand in it. Um, so I think that's kind of why it is so hard because it is the easiest path of least resistance and that's why we have to find the ease in him because he will lift us out of the current. He will have that, but it is a daily thing. It's like, you know, the manna as well. It has to be daily. Those principles are so important for this. Uh, That's powerful. I love the fact that, again, the world, like, that conformed is from the outside in and just us kind of just settling into a mold and letting letting it shape us versus what you're talking about from the inside out, the Lord doing that. Okay, we're going to go John and then Tommy, and then we'll move on. Thank you, guys. This is amazing. Thank uh, you for sharing. Hello, my name is John. Um, one thing that came to mind for me is our perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times we're all about us, and we're looking at our circumstances. Mm-hmm. But look what Jesus did. You know, the cross was set before him, but he was looking past that. Mm-hmm. He was looking to what future promises were there, and and the same with the Israelites, right? When they're going through the desert and all that, and it seemed like God had forsaken them, but th- there was much greater things in front of them, um, especially after they exited the, you know, the quiet times and with Jesus coming. I think the same for us. We cannot look at what our circumstances are today, right? Because we can get down, we can get dejected, we can feel like God has left us, but, you know, he's there all along, you know, and just like walking in the sand, right? It's Jesus's footprints carrying us, right? And sometimes we don't even understand that or, or realize what's going on. It's good. So good. Thank you, John. Tommy. I'm Tommy. Um, I think like just even for me and stuff, it's easy to kind of place joy in this category of it's an absence of pain and hurt and sadness in these things mm. when I think it's it's not that at all it's really like those things are gonna happen and if we're looking for those to fully be gone we won't really be in joy it's the ability to in those times in those moments mm. to really walk through them with Jesus to where the joy really does come in the morning and really realizing that he is our joy it's not something to replace those things with mm. That's powerful. That's powerful, man. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's like, um, I, I feel like the Lord was sharing with me, I don't know how this fits, but it feels like it's going with what you're saying, Tommy, that, that joy, we think of it as a separate thing, like you said, an alternative to pain, but it's actually more of a mix-in. You know how we can mix protein powder, or I have these little vitamin B12 dropper things that, I don't know, I think it helps my digestion or something. I'm not sure what it does, but I think it's good. I'm happier when I take it. Um, But it's that idea of it mixes in with real life, right? It doesn't have to be like, oh, I've got to keep all this stuff at bay so that I can experience joy. But God meant for joy to be something that is in a little dropper that we can put in drop by drop into our daily reality, and it makes a difference. That's so good. Guys, thank you so much. Father, I just pray 
that everything that has been shared, God, you know what each of us needs to hear from what each has shared. So God, I pray that none of that seed would be wasted. That right now, you would allow us to solidify and to let, let whatever was just shared that is for us, let that go deep into our spirit. Let our, let our spirit and our soul wrap itself around it and let it bear fruit in our lives. Let it continue to come up in our thoughts. Let it continue to come up in our conversation. Continue to give insight with what you have sparked right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much for sharing, man. Wow. Good stuff. Um, well, hey, I wanted to share real quickly with you. Um, I think, uh, and you mentioned it, somebody mentioned it, or I think it was Jennifer maybe, that we confuse joy with happiness, right? That's one of the, I think, uh, big challenges that can hold us back and even make us think God isn't fulfilling his side of the bargain. Anybody ever been mad at God? You don't have to raise your hand, but, you know. I have. And you know what? It's, uh, uh, sometimes... That's rooted in the fact that I had a certain understanding of what God was promising to deliver in my life, and when that's not happening, and there is pain, and my emotions are very aware of sadness or grief or anger or whatever, it can cause a real disconnect. And, it can, and the enemy is obviously right there like, see, God isn't faithful. See, God doesn't know where you're at. See, God doesn't love you. Maybe he's not strong enough to make a difference. I don't know, right? The enemy is just taunting and filling our, our minds with doubts. Here's what that word means in, in the Greek, and I believe uh, illustrating for us what, how God wants to frame the joy that he's promising and calling us into. That word, uh, or the word for rejoice, as we are commanded to rejoice, is chairo. And it means, it's from the root chad, which is favorably disposed or leaning towards. So it properly means to delight in God's grace. Joy, rejoice literally means to delight in God's grace, to experience God's grace and favor and to be conscious and be glad for his grace. So here's the interesting thing, that all of this traces back and begins with grace. So we're commanded to rejoice, to live from a place of awareness, delighting in God's grace. But obviously, in order to be able to live from that place, we have to be receiving right? Some joy. So to, to act it out as a verb, I have to receive it as a noun, as a gift from the Lord, that joy. And that joy means awareness or consciousness of God's grace. Does that make sense? So I, the goal, I'm being commanded to rejoice, to live from it. But before I can live from it, I need to receive it. And before I can receive it, I need to know that it's all pointing and from the root word had, which is God leaning towards me, extending his hands toward me in favor, reaching out a hand saying, grab my hand. I'm for you. I'm with you. We're going to make it together. I'm going to carry you through this. I'm for you. I'm, I'm going to give you the wisdom you need. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to ultimately heal you. I'm going to show myself loving and kind and good in your life. How does that differ from our understanding of happiness? Very different, right? If I'm expecting joy to be God is going to align circumstances in the way that I have predetermined are best for me, how's that, how's that working? <laughs> in my life, <laughs> that hasn't gone very well. <laughs> but if I can transform my understanding of what joy even means and what rejoicing means and say it's all rooted in 
me becoming aware that God is for me, that his favor and his grace are extended toward me, and that whatever happens, he's going to bring me, not just through it, not just surviving, as my dad would say, not somehow, but triumphantly. He's going to use whatever is going on to make me more like Jesus and to draw me closer to himself. Is that a different type of joy? I believe there's power if we understand that. Can I give you one bonus? I know this is kind of nerdy, but here's another bonus. The word give thanks, it also comes from the same root. And that word give thanks is eucharisteo, and it means, so caris, har, is that word grace. Give thanks, and it's the word used for the Eucharist, by the way, if you're from a liturgical church, that's the word that they actually use for communion, which we celebrated. It's basically good grace, and it's basically an acknowledgement that God's grace works well. When I give thanks, and think about this in Spanish. In Spanish, the word gracia is grace, and you know what the word thanks is. Gracias. It's, it's graces. It's, so it's connected even in the Spanish language, but even in the Greek, it's connected as well, saying, I'm acknowledging God, even though I don't understand everything that's going on, but I'm declaring to you that your grace is working that it's at work in my life, that it's working well, it's good grace. And I'm continuing to put more and more of my eggs in this basket, more and more trust in you, more and more confidence that you're gonna be who you say you are, more and more, that's giving thanks. That's what God is asking of us because in that passage in 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, then it goes on to say, pray continually and then in all things, give thanks. It's all connected rejoicing, keeping a conversation with God open through prayer, and ultimately giving thanks to him, acknowledging that same root word, grace. Lord, my eyes are being opened more and more to the fact that you're for me, to the fact that you're good, to the fact that I can trust you. Let's be quick to give thanks, to rejoice, but to recognize and remember that it's rooted in his grace. All right, so I really think God wants to give us um, three on-ramps to live in and from joy uh, today. You ready to just jump in real quick? We'll get you out of here by, uh, my plan is by, no. We'll, we'll try to get you out of here. Okay, the first one, uh, three, three words that I think uh, will really help us, if we can lay hold of them, really help us to actually have breakthroughs in joy. The first one is delight, to delight. We know that Psalm 34 says, delight in the Lord with all your heart and he will give you the desires of your heart. That word to rejoice literally means delight in as well. Okay, that's part of the meaning in scripture. And I think that um, delight is a powerful, powerful doorway uh, to joy. God is basically saying, I want you to slow down and smell the roses. Coffee, anyone? For me, the pine smell, something happens in my spirit. When I smell pine trees in the morning, we just have a few in our backyard. But there's 68 degrees, 65 degrees, no wind. What else? What else? What else? What causes you? Let me ask you this. Just don't wait for Mike, but just, just shout out. What causes you delight? What's something that you delight in or are able to delight in? Fresh cut grass, rain, yes. What was that? Beautiful sunsets. Ooh, we got some here in Colorado. 
Birds, yep, there's beautiful songs. That, yep. Baby smell, right on. Good extra dad award, Jeremy. Awesome. Love it. What what? Food. More specifically, Lauren, what's your favorite? What makes you what is it? Fajitas. Fajitas bring the delight. Ooh, sizzling. I love it. Somebody else, what do you delight in? A beautiful song. Mm-mm-mm. What is it? Old books, the smell and just the feel. Yeah. Kids hugs. Laughter. Mountains. (laughs) Guys. Starbucks chai. So good. Guys, God, 1 Timothy uh, 6.17 says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, but listen to this, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Guys, God has designed this universe. He could have like had us all eat just like a little white pill. Okay, I have vitamins. I have nutrients for the day. But he didn't do that. He created the ability for ingredients for fajitas. Even Mountain Dew, as much as I hate to admit it, but somehow God saw in his heart that Dan, in 2023, would bring his little, we call it his whoobie. It's his giant tumbler thing with ice. Do you guys know that Dan actually makes his ice cubes out of Mountain Dew so that when it melts, it's still, no, he, no, he's, he's, he's not, anyway. Hey, admitting it is the first, the first part, the first step. Here's the deal, guys. God has created everything for our enjoyment. God has created everything to point back to him. And when we are able to delight in something, it's, a, it's, a, it's an opening of our heart to rejoicing. It's an opening of our heart. Uh, uh, Lauren was telling me a story that when Emmy, who's not in here, she's in kids' church, I think, maybe here. Um, but uh, when Emmy, their youngest daughter, was young, she was on a swing set, and she was just laughing and giggling and having fun on the swing. And Lauren was looking at her, and she had already felt God had spoken to her that, that Emmy was going to be a delight. And I believe, if I'm telling it correctly, that as she looked at her and, and just sensed her joy and her laughter and her innocence and her beauty, and it was just a reminder of, wow, I am delighting in my daughter. This is bringing me so much joy, so much pleasure, so much delight right now. And she went on to say this in our teaching team meeting. um, I want to make sure I get it right. It doesn't have to be overly spiritual to be profoundly worshipful. Something doesn't have to be overly spiritual. Oh, it was the Lord's Prayer and it was a, you know, with a candle and the, you know. It doesn't have to be overly spiritual to be profoundly worshipful. Worshipful. I believe that God has created all these things so that we would enjoy them, so that we would recognize what an incredible God, what a creative God. Have you ever been to Bass Pro Shops or on the coral reef somewhere snorkeling and you see all the different kinds of fish with all the cool neon colors and stripes and shapes and sizes? Wow, he didn't have to do all that, right? He could have made a bunch of gray fish that all are the same shape. Like, hey, you want protein? Here, have another gray fish. But he, he didn't. He made those sunsets. He made those flavors, those sensations, those smells, the the feel of an old book, whatever it might be. But here's the thing. In order to enjoy those things and delight in them, we have to slow down. John Mark Comer 
writes in a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's a great book, by the way. So good. If you haven't read that, I encourage it. I recommend it wholeheartedly. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He contends that one of the greatest enemies to spirituality, to intimacy with the Lord in our current day and age isn't all the demons of hell. It isn't all the false doctrine. It isn't, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, whatever. He contends that it's hurry that we live lives at such a pace and we have our device constantly and we can be working and watching Netflix and talking to our spouse and cooking dinner all at the same time and we're never able to take a breath and rest and truly delight in things. I believe that that's why God instituted the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a very, very unique idea when it got established. When we went to Israel, the guide, our guide Reuben was like, Back in that day, the cultures in the, in the Middle East, they didn't get a day off after six days of working. Who are you kidding? Get back there and work another 30 days, and maybe we'll talk about having a day off at the end of the month. That was unheard of, that any god of any nation had said, I don't care if you're the household servant cleaning the toilets or if you're the CEO of the company. You get a day off every six days, and I want you to delight in your family. Maybe if you want a cup of wine, maybe if you want to enjoy a good meal, maybe if you want to see your kids playing on the playground, if you want to go on a walk, if you want to pet your dog some extra time, if you want to have a little bit of whatever it might be, I want you to delight. I want you to rest. I want you to slow it down. I believe something happens in our heart that opens us up to the joy of the Lord when we do that. And maybe God is speaking to some of us, hey, is there something? We all like to tell ourselves, I can't control it. It's just the way, all the demands are there. I believe there's a blessing when we say, Lord, I want to trust you. And he, I'm not trying to, hey, this isn't out of legalism. We're not like, oh, if you, no. If you want to work seven days, that's fine, do it. But maybe the Lord's saying, hey, would you take an hour? Would you take two hours? Would you take half an hour? Would you take whatever it might be? Trust me that the amount of work that needs to get done, I will actually bless that if you tr believe that when you slow down and rest and delight in me, in your family, in the things that I've provided for you, you'll actually be refreshed and be more fruitful. I believe that maybe God's speaking to some of you to take a step in that direction. Test God. See if he'll bless the rest of your labor. See if that stuff will get done. Maybe he'll give you creative ideas. Maybe he'll give you solutions that you were racking your brain, but because you rested and delighted, something new begins to happen in your business, in your family, in your marriage, in your kids' lives. If that's for you, just receive that. C.S. Lewis wrote this. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy. Think of food, all the things we've talked about. Because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. You kind of have to forgive the old English here. But it is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of a road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him.
He's saying until like I can experience something and go, wow, that's a beautiful sunset. But how much better is it if I'm able to open my mouth and say, wow, isn't that amazing? To have somebody to just share that with and express how incredible those shrimp fajitas are or brisket fajitas. The joy is multiplied. It goes full circle. I believe that God is saying, and maybe we do express it to one another. I, want to challenge, I believe God is challenging us. Close the circle of praise. Make sure that when I'm experiencing that perfect cup of coffee, when I'm smelling that fresh cut grass, when I'm wrapping my hands around that, that old book, maybe just go, take a moment and go, God, thank you for this. Right? Not just, wow, this is great, that's good to express it to someone else, but why not close the circle and go, God, you designed these evergreens that smell like this because you wanted me to be impressed, because you wanted me to have something to delight in. Thank you, God. Man, I believe that that last little completing the circle of enjoyment, delighting, and then ultimately opening my heart and even expressing with my lips back to God can open up doors of joy in our lives. What about this? The second one. Discover. Not only delighting, but discover. We've seen already that rejoicing and even joy and ultimately even giving thanks is all connected to God's grace, right? His leaning toward us, his being for us, his wanting to show favor and kindness and, 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 and bring us to himself and empower us. Um, if you look at the Old Testament, some of you are in the in-state uh, Bible study with me, and we just got done with a semester on the Old Testament this spring. We're heading into New Testament. But we learned, one of the things that we've learned is how God reveals himself through his different names in the Old Testament. If you read different stories, and then God will say, or, or one of the patriarchs will say, you are the God who, and then fill in the blank. If you can pull that up, these are just some of the names. There's many, many more. But these are some of the names that God used to reveal himself to his people, El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty. That word, that Shaddai word, is literally connected to the way that mother's milk is completely sufficient for the nurturing of a baby. It has all the vitamins, it has all the nutrients. When God is saying, I am Almighty, I am all sufficient, there's nothing lacking in me, it comes from that word. El Yon, God Most High, Jehovah Nisi, God my banner. Jehovah Ra'ah, you can remember that because Ra'ah, Ra'ah. Sorry, I'm giving you my memory tips here. The Lord, my shepherd, right? We see that in John chapter 10 that Jesus is the good shepherd. Jehovah Rapha, he heals. Jehovah Shammah, he is there. The Lord Sidkenu, our righteousness when the enemy condemns and the enemy lies to us. We have a God who is our righteousness. What about Jehovah Makedish, the God who sanctifies the potter and we're on his potter's wheel? Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Do you guys remember where Jehovah Jireh, before it was the song in the 70s, Jehovah Jireh, my provider is... Sorry, just checking to see who my 70s Christians are. Sufficient for me, for me, for me. I should have been on a dance team. Do you guys remember where that story came from, where that name Jehovah Jireh came from? It's one of the most powerful stories in the whole Old Testament. Yep, who is it? Abraham and Isaac, Genesis 22. When the word of the Lord came to Abraham and said, hey, I want you to take your son, the son of the promise, and I want you to take him to a mountain I will show you. 
and I want you to sacrifice him and kill him. Can you imagine as a mom or as a dad? My dad had a dream one time that God asked him to sacrifice us kids and hold us in front of a machine that had like a sharp metal puncture thing. And he just saw this line of parents holding their kids, sacrificing, and he was just like, Lord, he was undone, weeping. Can you imagine? Just saying, what would I do? What would I do? But that's what God asked of Abraham. And ultimately, when he went to take that knife, the Lord said, stop, stop. Now I see that you do not withhold even your son from me. And he turned his eyes, and over in the thicket, there was a ram caught by the horns. And God said, go sacrifice that ram instead. Can you imagine? (laughs) The relief, the joy, speaking of, that Abraham felt. And he sacrificed that ram. And it was then, from that point on, said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. God will provide the ram for the sacrifice. Ultimately, it was fulfilled in Jesus. Years later, on that very same mountain, by the way, was where Calvary was. That Mary said, Mount Moriah was where the temple was built, right? 2,000 years later, or years later. So God is saying, he wants to reveal himself to us in all these different ways. When I was church planting, we had moved here in 2000 uh, to start a a Spanish-speaking work, downtown Denver, and I had in my mind how it was going to go. People were going to hear like, oh, DJ Smith is starting a church? Oh my gosh, how do we redirect our tithe checks immediately to him? How do we, how do we bring him to the, to the attention of our church board so that we can immediately take them on as a home mission assignment, right? How do we, how do we get him on the cover of magazines? How do we, how do we you know, bring youth group to, to, you know, with boatloads of money and, and energy to start this incredible bilingual church in Denver? Woo! That's not quite how it happened. <laughs> And after a couple of years, I was working full-time. We were going door-to-door, you know, beating the pavement, 35th and York kind of area. We had a liquor store in one corner, a gas station, a laundromat, and then our house with the drug bust in the next front yard over where the dealer was hiding under the folding chairs, or the folding tables. But, um, but after like two years of that, I was exhausted. I was frustrated. I was angry. Maybe you've already heard this story. Man, I found myself mowing the lawn one time, and just shaking my fist at God, like, why aren't you doing your part of the deal? I'm out here doing all the stuff and praying and leading in-state Bible study groups and, you know, preparing worship with the guy who plays accordion and the other guy who plays bass, you know, mariachi worship every weekend. All this stuff, and I was so frustrated and so angry at God because in my mind, I knew how he was supposed to be providing, how he was supposed to be revealing his grace to me. You're supposed to be Jehovah Jireh, my provider, who more than abundantly makes the money flood in. You're supposed to be Jehovah Shammah, the God who is with us. You're supposed to be all those things as I understand them. And I was really angry at God. And ultimately, we shut down that church and merged it in with another church because we just couldn't sustain it. And after a few months, I ended up on staff at Jubilee as a worship pastor. And that's where we met Dan and Kim. And God's story began to take a different turn in ways that we can see now, but at the time, I was angry. You see, God wants to reveal his mercy, his outstretched leaning toward us, in no matter what situation. But I believe that we have to have eyes to discover how he's wanting to reveal himself to us. And here's the thing. I think a lot of us, if you're like me, you like to tell God how he needs to show up, when he needs to show up, and with which name he needs to show up. 
right? Like, Lord, I need you to be Jehovah Jireh right now in this exact way. And God, have you noticed this? He makes a terrible junior partner. He's, I mean, if he were a junior partner, he should be fired because he's terrible at following our directions. He doesn't like to do things always our way. I've found that in my life anyway. And I think that God wants us to understand the secret to walking in joy is to let him lead the dance of how he wants to reveal himself. With a matter, when it comes to grace, when it comes to him being for us, him having a plan to bring us through, him being leaning towards us in favor, it's not a matter of if. He's not trying to decide if he likes you. He's not trying to decide if you're worthy of helping. He's not trying to decide if, if, if you're worthy of revealing himself to. It's not if. It's when and how. He's going to show goodness to you. He loves you. He's already thought 10 moves ahead what you need, when you need it, and how he's going to show himself faithful in a way that's going to cause you to look back and delight, to look back and give thanks, Eucharisto. But we don't see that, right? Back to our perspective. Some of you shared my perspective. I see the problem, and I don't see God intervening or changing the circumstance. I think God really wanted us to know if we will allow our minds to be transformed and say, Lord, no matter how much I think I know what I need from you and when I need it and how I need it, I want to surrender that. Here I am. Here's the situation. Here's this divorce I'm walking through. Here's this job change that I didn't ask for. Here's this loneliness that I'm experiencing. Here's this sickness that's been diagnosed in my body. Yeah, I think it'd be great if you were Jehovah Rapha, my healer right now. Yeah, I think it'd be great if you showed up as my provider and moved a mountain right now. And... But Lord, I'm gonna let you lead the dance. How do you want to reveal your character, your goodness, and your grace to me? And it might be that while I'm waiting for you to be Jehovah Rapha, my healer, you're showing me that you're Jehovah Shammah who's with me even before I'm healed. And while I'm waiting for you to be Jehovah Jireh, my provider, you're showing me that you're Jehovah Nisi, a banner over me, that even when I'm not, I don't know how to pay the bills, you're with me and protecting me, bringing in provision from different sources that I didn't even think were possible. God, I let you lead the dance. If that's for you, I pray that you hear God saying, hey, if you'll trust me, if you'll let me lead the dance, if you'll let me choose how I reveal myself to you, what name I want you to come to experience, what connecting point to my grace I want you to, to lay hold of, I believe we're gonna see God in new ways and it's gonna be good. And I believe that, you know what? That actually is a litmus test for where our hearts are at if we're being transformed because if I just want happiness and things to align and that's my biggest win, I'm gonna be frustrated at God a lot. But if truly our heart is to say, Lord, make me more like you. Lord, transform me. Make me more like Jesus. Lord, I wanna know you better, right? Like Paul prayed, I wanna know you, the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your sufferings. If that's our biggest win, then I think when we look back on the tough times where we came to know God in a new way, we would never trade those things. We always look back and go, I, that was hard. I didn't know if I was gonna make it, but I would never trade it for the world. 
because I came to know the Lord in this new way. And nobody can argue me out of it now. He showed himself in my life. Does that make sense? That's what I believe God is calling us into. I'm gonna go ahead and just read uh, Psalm 16 with us. I believe that David practiced this. I believe that he discovered that it's possible not just to follow our hearts. Sometimes we do that, right? Sometimes part of delighting is following our heart. If we like coffee, then make yourself a cup of coffee. If you're Dan and like for incomprehensible reasons, rather have Mountain Dew in the morning, follow your heart with that. That's fine. But I believe that there's moments when God is saying, hey, in this particular thing, I'm not asking you to follow your heart. I'm asking you to direct your heart. I'm asking you to turn your heart towards me, to as an act of your soul and your spirit, I'm asking you to put your eyes on me. I believe that David modeled that for us and that it speaks of that in his passage. So as I read it, I want you to just kind of glean and listen for the ways in which David directed his heart towards the Lord and the ways in which he directed it towards others. Because I think that we're a part in community. We hold the secret to a lot of the joy that God wants for our lives. Uh, Bill Hayes was talking to me after service last night. He was saying he's just gotten done doing a study of joy in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for joy. I believe it's simcha. And he said that so much of that word joy was found in community, was found in the festivals that they would have. They would slaughter an animal and they would give out raisin cakes and they would blow the trumpets and they would dance and they would sing. And it wasn't just me having joy over here by myself, but there was an added element of joy as we as God's people gather together and encourage one another and help direct each other's attention towards how good our God is and towards his grace, his arms extended towards us. So listen to this and see if you can see and hear it in there. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, this is speaking of community, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. And of course, we know that was fulfilled in Jesus. It's quoted in Acts chapter two in Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. It was actually speaking of the Messiah King. But then verse 11 finishes it up. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. When we were at our teaching team, Joshua was reminding us of the reality that we have and the opportunity we have to be present to what we choose to be present to. And the idea that no matter what's going on in my life, I can make a decision like David did to say, Lord, 
I want to be present to you right now and do what it's speaking of there in verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Lord, I want the things of earth to grow strangely dim as I turn my eyes upon Jesus so that those things matter less and less because the reality of who you are, the reality of what you're promising me, the reality of what you want to be in me for me and through me is greater than those things. I believe that as we make a decision to direct our hearts to the Lord, to direct our hearts to those godly ones that are in the land, to one another, God's gonna begin to spark joy and allow us to break through and walk through it more and more. Amen? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the promises that it holds. Thank you for your heart for us to have joy. Lord, you know how we're wired you know that we're predisposed to think that we have to be in control in order for things to be good, in order for us to experience your love and your joy. But you're so good. You're so faithful. You're so wise. You're able to transform our thinking and allow us to find joy in surrendering our control to you. How you reveal yourself. How you show us your character. Lord, let us enter into that sweet place of rest, how we slow down, how we delight in those things, whether many or few, but those things that you've placed in our lives to point us back to you, how we give thanks to you and complete that circle of gratitude and of enjoyment and delight and ultimately praise. God, I pray that you would activate joy in us that we would trust you more and more and that, God, others would see your joy in us and be drawn to you. Lord, let us be a part of your joy in each other. Give us eyes to see how we can speak a word of encouragement, a word of hope, a word of life to one another that would spark your joy and give us strength for no matter what the race is before us. We thank you for all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.